Good morning and welcome to Mork's Chat Sports, where we have another special guest joining me today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the guest before we get to it. He was born in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, and attended both Milton and CBC. After school, he represented the Zimbabwe Sables and was then involved heavily behind the scenes with Zimbabwe rugby for, for several years. More recently, he was elected as president of the Zimbabwe Rugby Union, which was met with great joy and gave people a great sense of hope going forward. I'd like to welcome Aaron Jani. Thank you so much for joining me, Aaron. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic. Thank you. And uh, thank you for such a warm welcome and introduction. No, always a pleasure, Aaron. Thank you so much for, for being on this morning. I'd, I'd like to kind of just start with what you're up to these days. And I guess it's a bit of a, a relevant topic at the moment. And, and just to see how the, how the pandemic has kind of affected both your day to day, as well as your, your presidency at the Zimbabwe Rugby Union. Okay, fantastic. Well, uh, basically, I'm based in SA at the moment, and I've been based here for a couple of months now. I'm basically doing business from here, and also doing some medicals here in SA. So yeah, so basically, I'm based here. In uh, as far as rugby goes, obviously, this has been, you know, a, a big uh, uh, disappointment in as far as our programs are concerned. We had a lot planned for 2020, and so we've had to make um, you know a lot of adjustments. So if you look at um, our season, it means no rugby has been played at all, and it means that all our programs, in terms of uh, training and education, had to had to be put on hold, and um, uh, we had a couple of tours planned, and they've also been put on hold, and that means that because we earn most of our revenue from hosting uh, matches and getting sponsorship from corporates you know we really d didn't have a product that we could put out there uh, you know for the market to, to raise any meaningful resources having said that this has also given us an opportunity to relook at uh, our systems and relook at how we do business as a union and we found that our um, website was a bit um, obsolete and uh, it was not, you know, to the standard that we would have wanted it to be or what it should be to get us into the future. So we, we, we've now reintroduced, um, we've revamped the whole website. It's more interactive and it means we can now register our players. So um, anybody who goes through to the site can register as a fan so that we actually know what sort of base we have in terms of fans and also we can communicate directly with them and they can communicate with us. So that's one aspect that's been very positive about the situation. The other one has been that we've also taken an opportunity to have a look at you know, all our national teams and uh, look at staffing. So this has given us an opportunity to, to re-look at um, retooling the human resources side of things. So we've made all the positions available and uh, we received an overwhelming response in terms of applications. The only team that we left intact was the Sables because we had just recently done an overhaul of that system. So this has been very positive in that now we are looking at gearing up for 2021 in terms of our human resources. We also looked at uh, the issues that have been plaguing us over the years, the issues of debt, and we realized that the biggest problem that we're having is that 
the union was not adequately capitalized. So we have now embarked upon a program where the board has endorsed that we channel resources towards the recapitalization of the union. This means that we won't have to hire PA systems, we won't have to hire toilets, sure. we won't have to hire things like tents. And we want to turn that into revenue. Instead, we want to be hiring out to people so that we get um, revenue to use for our development. So those are some of the highlights that we've been looking at, the positives that we've taken out of 2020. There you go. So only been at the helm a couple of years and, and already some, some fantastic changes, unfortunately interrupted by, by the pandemic. And in terms of on the field, Aaron, I see that there was possibly a tour to the Netherlands. Can you give us any insight as to whether that's going to go ahead? Yes, that's correct. We, we, we did have and we were in discussions in terms of a tour to the Netherlands. But as you have seen, Europe right now is now yeah. going into another lockdown. And uh, so that has uh, closed the door on us on, on that area. So we then looked at another angle. Um, uh, a lifeline was thrown by um, Rugby Africa, who were prepared uh, to co-sponsor a tournament that wow. we could hold. So they've done one up north, which is being done in November. And we were looking at a tournament on the southern side. And we were in discussions with uh, Uganda, Kenya, Namibia, um, and Zambia. And unfortunately, that has also fallen through, well, fell through a couple of days ago. Oh, wow. And uh, the, the biggest uh, problem being that the balance sheets of most of the unions have been decimated. So even the contributions... The only thing that we had to kind of bring to the party was the airfares and everything else will be taken care of by Rugby Africa. So most of the nations have not be, are not in a position to be able to get themselves to a venue in terms of flights. And also some of the countries are not in a position to get clearance from their countries to do the trip. So that, that has now put a damper. So in as far as 2020 is concerned, there will not be any rugby for the Sables. We are now looking at gearing up for 2021. Right. And again, good movements made by, by the Rugby Africa Union. Unfortunately, we, we can't lock kids with our old foes, Uganda, Kenya, Namibia, just yet. But as you say, let's ride off 2020. And uh, hopefully 2021 is, is a good year for all of us and the Sables, Cheetahs, etc. Aaron, if you don't mind now, we're going to go right back to your childhood and uh, growing up in Zimbabwe, where it all started for you, I guess. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like back in the day playing rugby? You attended both CBC and Milton, as I mentioned. And yeah, just about your sort of journey into rugby. Yes. So what happened was um, I came from a, a little school, uh, which is called Baines Junior. And we didn't have rugby, you know, at Baines. And then I went in uh, into Form 1 into uh, Milton. And as uh, fate would have it, um, the first term, and I think it's, it's still the current situation, was athletics. And there was um, a, a coach, a mentor, by the name of uh, Mick Perigo, and he, he was our guru in terms of athletics. And uh, he, he took us for, for training. And then we had, you know, the inter-house competitions. And in those inter-house competitions, I really excelled, especially, um, you know, in the, I think it was 100 and whatever, 80 meters and 200 meters and, and hurdles. And I ended up 
winning the Victor Ludorum Cup for my year. Wow. And he came to me and he said, look, you, you, you've got a lot of potential. I want you to play rugby. So next term, I want you to come, come and play rugby. And, um, you know, I knew nothing about rugby, uh, but I, I did turn up. And, it, it, you know, the reason was very simple. Milton was a rugby school through and through. And uh, from day one, you could see that this was a rugby school in terms of how um, the first team was honoured and how they, they conducted themselves. You know, they, they had preference in terms of, uh, of food when we went into the dining hall. They didn't have to do war cry practices during break time and they could walk through the grass, which was sacred at the time, uh, <laughs> where, you know, the, uh, the little people like us could, you know, you couldn't even dream of walking, uh, you know, on the grass. And, and they had so many privileges. And so if you were going to make any meaningful uh, contribution to the school, you know, um, it, it had to be something uh, connected to rugby because it was a rugby school. So when I did go uh, into second term, all he said to me was, look, I want you on the wing and your job is to score tries. So you get the ball, just pin your ears back and put the ball across the line. And um, so I never had any opportunity to really learn rugby. And um, I just did as I was told. And uh, as time went on, you know, I got the hang of things and, um, and, and, and I excelled. As you would have it, uh, when I got to Form 3, I was already playing first team. And uh, this is when wow. I began to get noticed by other schools. And uh, Form 4 came through and I had my honours blazer um, for rugby. And I got some offers in terms of scholarships. And uh, the one that really interested me was CBC because they had a tour. They had a tour to England and Ireland. And I'd never been on, the, on a plane. I'd never been to England. And, and so that was very attractive for me. So I ended up, you know, choosing CBC uh, over the other schools uh, because of the tour that they were going to conduct. And then that's how I moved to, um, to CBC. Okay, I, I hope there weren't too many late hits from the from the Milton players as you contested against them later on in in, in your schooling career. Oh, I did. I took a lot of abuse. Eh? <laughs> I'm sure you did, Aaron. I'm sure you did. Yeah. And, and yeah, we've we've heard stories about you tearing down the wing. So I, I, I want to now get from from school. You've you've survived all the all the late hits from from Milton playing for CBC. You played a little bit of club rugby in Zim and then um, tell us about your playing days after school and then when the full-time whistle went on your playing career how you moved into the administration side of things yes um, so what happened was when I was doing my O-levels at, uh, at Milton I met up with some very nice guys um, from from old Miltonians they invited me so every holiday after uh, school I would then uh, go and play uh, club rugby at uh, OEMs. So I started playing OEMs club rugby when I was uh, uh, doing my O-levels and I continued right through until I finished school. So it was a natural uh, fit and a natural home for me because I was, um, you know, the smallest guy in the team in terms of years and in terms of stature. But they looked after me very well and it, it gave me a lot of good contacts which would serve me very well you know, in my future in terms of uh, my career and other things. So when I did leave school, I was drafted into the under-21s, into the Zimbabwe under-21 side. And the notables from that uh, squad were people like uh, like Ian Noble, 
like Gary Schneider, and we went to Namibia on a tour, and that was um, also the year just before we went to the World Cup as Zimbabwe, as the Sables, and we were very fortunate in that a couple of us were drafted into the squad that was training for the World Cup, and uh, out of myself, Ian Noble and Gary Schneider, I think maybe one or two others, we you know, we trained with the, with the guys, and um, and uh, we were given the opportunity, uh, really, to show us to, to, to show up and, and go for the World Cup. But out of um, our team, I think only Ian Noble managed to uh, make the grade and uh, actually travel to the World Cup, and that was very, very you know, exciting, exciting time for me um, and in terms of learning and uh, rubbing shoulders with some of the very best players I've ever seen, you know, on the rugby scene in Zimbabwe. So uh, we were then classed as uh, non-traveling reserves and, you know, the World Cup came and it um, and it went. And uh, when the guys came back, as would happen after a World Cup, um, a lot of the senior guys um, also retired. And that gave us, um, you know, an opportunity to now get into, into the side. So we, we were now fully into the Sables side and our assignment which was very notable at the time was the Bankfin tournament in South Africa so we played that it was very 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 competitive and uh, very compact so what it meant was we were playing two games you know every week so play on a Wednesday play on a Saturday wow. and um, you know you talk of allowances these days I think our allowances at that time were 10 US dollars and um, I think the rate was um, one to six at the time, so that was sixty rand that we were um, we were getting, you know, as allowances. But it was it, it could buy a lot. Um, so I remember um, most of my kitchen uh, stuff I bought for my wife, toasters and, and <laughs> microwaves and all that. That came from the from from the allowances that we were getting at the time. So it was a very exciting time. We played um, with passion, and it was a good bunch of guys. And unfortunately, you know, it did, it did come to an end and we didn't continue with, with, with the Benfin after that season. But uh, we, we did manage to uh, play a lot of sides that were coming through because um, most of the sides that played in South Africa would come through to Zimbabwe as a warm-up. And uh, some of the notable sides were, you know, New South Wales who came through. And uh, at the time, uh, David Campisi was in their side. And yeah. he was on the wing, and I uh, had the privilege of uh, playing uh, <laughs> against him. Oh wow! One <laughs> and, of the greats. Um, yeah. So and and uh, and we had a lot of sides, the British Lions, um, and a lot of uh, sides from England. So we, we we had a lot of a lot of rugby, and it was it was a, it was very fulfilling and very enjoyable. And I think when it came to about uh, 97, 98, that's when I called it a day, and uh, you know started focusing. On on uh, on other areas, my career, my family, and also um, that's when I also started looking at the administration side of things. No, notable was uh, my involvement with the under twenties, which uh, I think from about uh, two thousand and seven to about uh, two thousand fifteen, uh, which was quite a long time. We and we in during that time, we managed to do about four um, uh, world trophies with the Zimbabwe side, and that was feeding very well into the Sables. And and, and I think that was, uh, you know, a, a good grounding for my future in terms of uh, administration. 
Certainly. So, as you say, your, your transition from playing into administration was fairly smooth. You know, you had accumulated a lot of knowledge, a lot of, a lot of contacts, as you mentioned previously. I'm certain that you even got your old mate Campo, David Campisi, to come and coach. I think it was in 2011, 2012, you got him involved with the Sables. So, you know, playing the game does help to build those relationships and, and understand how things are run on and off the field. 100%, yeah. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you were involved with quite a few of the youth sides for a number of years. Tell us about your build-up just towards, I guess, the open vacancy of Zimbabwe rugby president and, you know, what your thoughts were thinking, geez, let, let me go for it, you know? Well, look, basically what happened was, uh, like you um, indicated, the... Involvement with the junior sides was basically, you know, the uh, the groundwork to fit into the sables. And um, I felt that, you know, with the performances that we're getting in the juniors, representing Zimbabwe on the world stage and being in the top 16 of, or, you know, of the world in terms of rugby in, in junior circles, that was amazing. And it was not translating to the same sort of performance in terms of 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 uh, the sables because if you look at it the sables should have been playing within that area of the uh, top 16 as well in terms of their seeding but we were fi- finding ourselves uh, you know in the 30s and also the issues that were happening you know off the field the disunity and the the strife that was uh, you know within the rugby circles it was just concerning and and I thought that um, you know, it, it would make sense for me to try and, and run into the top office and then try and change the culture and the way of doing things so that we could get you know the sables uh, into into the rightful place, which should be you know at least in the in the, in, the, in the top twenty five of um, of the world in terms of seeding. So that was really the, the you know um, the, the driving force was I felt I could make a change. And I believe that you have, Aaron. I am personally very delighted that you're in charge and, and you're sort of guiding us through this next generation and, and the next chapter. So congratulations, and, and I'm very, very delighted and happy for you, Aaron. I can imagine that... Thank you. Thank you very much. I can, I can imagine that having inherited the Zimbabwe Rugby Union when you did back in 2017... You know, what was the state of, of the beast at the time? What sort of situation did you find, or, or state rather, did you find Zimbabwe Rugby Union in? And you discussed earlier at the beginning of the interview a new website, coaching staff, coaching structures. Can you tell us a little bit about more of the changes you've implemented off the field, as you discussed earlier? Yes, uh, sure, no problem. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize uh, when I was elected how bad things really were. Um, and um, when, when, I, when I got in, so you're talking from the very basic things. So we were in debt, uh, almost uh, $300,000 um, uh, as a union. And there were no salaries for the secretariat when we walked in. And they didn't have any tools in terms of uh, computers, in terms of you know, printers, the basic stuff that you would expect in an office. We didn't have, you know, any of that. Um, so, you know, you talk of vehicles and transport, you know, it's, it, there was absolutely zero 
in terms of that. And morale was, you know, at its, at its lowest. So the first thing, you know, we had to do was to ensure that at least, you know, we can get um, salaries for the secretariat and equip them so that they could um, do their jobs. So that, that was a very, very, very trying time when we walked in. So we did manage, you know, to get a vehicle, get equipment um, for the secretariat, make sure that, um, you know, they got their salaries. And from that time until now, they've never had a day late of their salaries, you know, thanks to the team that we now have in place, who, you know, who, who, who are really working very hard to ensure that the things do turn back. So we have since paid off the debt that we had, and now we are looking at, uh, at growth. So all those changes that have come through is we stabilize the ship, make sure that we were equipped, and made sure that um, you, you know the secretariat is being paid. They had to take a bit of pain uh, because <laughs> one of the issues that uh, that we agreed on was that they were going to take a pay freeze, and 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 so I, I take my hat off to them. So it's been teamwork and uh, a lot of sacrifice from everybody, the the employees at the union. But now we're beginning to see uh, the fruit coming through, and uh, once we complete the recapitalization um, stage, which we hope. Uh, we should do by um, first quarter of, uh, of of 2021. We are now looking at growth, you know. So all those things are now behind us. What our focus is right now is just to equip the union and then make sure that all the functions, all the teams that we host, we we turn a profit when we host, and then we are able to um, to reinvest into our development um, programs. The other area that that we have really excelled at has been the education and training. We've managed to conduct education and training for level ones, level twos throughout all the provinces. And this is an ongoing exercise. Fantastic. Um, and, we've, uh, yeah, and recently we've just applied to begin the, the education and training exercise again with SRC. And we hope that we will begin that program very soon. Sure. And, and another thing I've noticed, Aaron, is the sort of increase in the social media side of things. So you've got a quite an active sort of social media at the moment, which is which is important for, for engagement purposes. You guys, as you mentioned earlier, have also implemented the new website, which allows people to not only follow the Sables, but perhaps lend assistance where possible in terms of sponsorship and, and that kind of thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, I heard whispers that possibly there could be a, a new stadium being built. Are those rumours? Can you confirm or deny those? No, they're not rumours. So what we've done as well as part of the programme, the rebuilding exercise we are doing, we've made applications, two applications. One was uh, to the city of Harare for land where we can begin uh, you know, the building exercise. The other one was through the ministry. We, we sent an application to SRC. And our aim is to try and get a piece of land within the National Sports Stadium because there's, there's quite a bit of land there that is not being used. And we are hoping that if we are allocated a piece of land there where we can build our offices and our stadium, it would be you know, the, um, the, the best outcome. So we, yes, we are, we've done all the applications that are necessary and we are hoping that we will get you know, the, the, the positive response from the authorities. We've got partners that are waiting in the wings who want to 
um, help us with the with, with the building exercise. So we hope that this will, will take off sooner rather than later. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, Hartsfield and Harare Sports Club have been home to the Sables for many years, but um, this would be another fantastic idea and, and moving forward. It's, it's brilliant for the setup of Zim Rugby. And moving sort of onto the field, as it were, I want to talk a little bit about 2019 and, and for our listeners that maybe aren't too familiar... 2019 was a great year for, for Zimbabwe rugby and uh, the Sables in particular. Through your, your changes and your, your new implementation of ideas, you had set up a, a quality coaching team of uh, Brendan Dawson, Tondurai Shivanga and uh, Jason Moritz on the management side. And in 2019, the Sables took part in the Victoria Cup, winning the tournament and you guys were also invited down to South Africa to take part in the Supersport Challenge, where you guys were playing week in, week out against some fantastic opposition. Can you tell us about these sort of tournaments and, and how these kind of structures have impacted and helped Zimbabwe rugby over the last year? Okay, so basically what we identified when we came into office is, is we do have a technical team uh, of um, experts and what they recommended was that for us to improve our seeding and uh, to prepare for um, for the World Cup 2023, we had to get quality and regular game time. So this was the basis on which we applied uh, to be incorporated into the Super Sport Challenge in South Africa. The idea was to make sure that we get you know, a lot of uh, we play a lot of rugby, get a, a lot of quality competition. You know, in preparation for the for for the future game, national games that we would play, and it, with that, we also had um, you, you know the Victoria Cup as you mentioned. But it, it, these all these things are very costly, and they require a lot of resources. So we did have a setup with um, uh, the Sables Trust, which was the vehicle which was um, helping in terms of harnessing resources for us to be able to play these competitions. So uh, we've been very fortunate that uh, we've had a lot of dedicated men and women who have been supporting our cause within that setup of the Sables Trust. This year, what we've also done with the uh, time that we've had you know, to rethink is we've managed to uh, partner with um, a lot of uh, individuals and corporates who have donated stuff with uh, in excess of thirty thousand US dollars, which which we are going to auction on behalf of the Sables, and I'm sure you'll be seeing you know in the press you know a lot of um, information regarding this. And what we are hoping to do is we are hoping to raise resources and prepare for 2021, so that again we can we can begin um, to play in a South African competition. We don't know what format that will take with the, what's happened with the COVID. If it's going to be the Super Sport Challenge, so be it. Uh, if not, we will look at which area Saru can incorporate us in. They've been very good to us and um, they've, they've pledged that they will help in any way they can to ensure that we get game time in South Africa and that we prepare adequately for the World Cup qualifiers in about 2022. Perfect. So, Aaron, before we touch a bit more heavily on the Sables and the qualifiers that you've just mentioned, what is the current state of play with the Cheetahs, the national seven side, 
grassroots rugby and women's rugby in the country at the moment? What's happening is that with the cheetahs, we've done uh, we, we've done reasonably well, but I think we can do better. So what we are doing is we've asked our technical team to also uh, relook at how we do business with the cheetahs and also with the women. Look at um, the the staffing arrangements that we have in those sectors, and then also look at you know how we can improve you know quality and game time. One of the areas that has been flagged is that we don't have a fully-fledged local tournament in terms of sevens. So that's one area that we will now be focusing on to ensure that we start with programs that are aimed at the provinces that will culminate in some sort of uh, national tournament in terms of the cheetahs. This will be our area where we can grow players and identify talent and the other area that was identified by the technical staff is the, the so-called um, Group B area schools. There's a lot of talent there, but we, we, we don't have structured competition for them. So that's another area that we are looking at in terms of development. And our provincial development officers will now be focusing to see what sort of competitions that we can create so that talent can come through. You know... One of the gaps that we've also noted is that the elite schools, kids have got many options and they end up, uh, you know, all over, scattered all over the world. (laughs) But the kids that come through from our government schools, they largely stay. And so it it, it makes sense for us to invest in that sector because those are the people that are going to carry us through, that are going to remain and be dedicated to our programs. And as far as the, 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 the women go, we are partnering up with other countries and uh, in 2019 partnered with Zambia so we were able to do games home and away and we also partnered with South Africa they managed to send through their um, their ladies sides to Zimbabwe yes we are still a little bit behind in terms of um, competition on that level but we've realized that we've got a lot of talent in terms of our schools so much talent for the ladies and we need to structure it and make sure that they get more game time so that we can get uh, talent that we can put into the late disables. Brilliant. Again, it'll be fantastic for us all in 2021 to see fruits of, of all these processes that have been put into place with the cheetahs, grassroots, particularly the schools that haven't had, if any, rugby this year, and as well as the women's going forward. So... Again, 2021 is going to be massive. And this section of the interview, Aaron, is where I get very nervous, but also equally very excited. I, w- I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the Sables once more and the Rugby World Cup in 2023. So as we all know, the Rugby World Cup is being held in France in 2023. Having last played in the World Cup in 1991, round about the, the beginning of your playing career, we also came so close to qualifying in 2015. Can you tell us about the road ahead and the qualifying processes and indeed what exactly we need in order to qualify for the World Cup in, in 2023? Thank you for that question. So number one, it's the issue of players. Unfortunately, because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in as Zimbabwe, our players are dotted all over, all over the world. 
So we've got players in Australia, players in Canada, players in the States, players in, in the UK. So that is presenting uh, a challenge in terms of getting them to play regularly together. So what we are trying to do now is we are trying to ensure that we get the database for all the players that that are available to Zimbabwe. And wherever possible, we are going to be requesting those players to come through for our international games. And we would like the majority of the core squad that will be selected uh, in 2021 to be coming and to be playing regularly. So that also takes resources, which is why we are focusing on trying to make sure that we do have resources in place to be able to bring in all these players because it's very expensive. If you look at an average ticket, you're probably looking at 2,000 to 2,500 US for each player. And then um, talk of accommodation, talk of stipend, you know, it's, it's, it's very expensive sure. to, to bring in these players. So that is, that is the major challenge that we have, that our players are based all over. But it also presents an opportunity in that it creates gaps for, for those players that are based locally. And we, we are going to be making sure that they, they have as much competition as possible and that our core squad will also contain um, a lot of the uh, locally based players who can train regularly, you know, with the coaches um, that we have in the country. So if you look at, at that aspect uh, of players, the second thing is, um, is game time, which is why we are focusing on South Africa because of proximity and because we, most of our players are also based in South Africa. So that sort of equalizes in terms of cost. So we are hoping that we get into competition in a South African league and then uh, additionally, we continue with the Victoria Cup and that will give us, you know, um, the, the required game time for us to prepare for 2022 qualifiers. We have also looked at the issue of the incoming tours and outgoing tours, which is why we're talking to Netherlands. We have targeted those countries that are seeded between 22 and uh, 30 uh, so that we can play regularly with them and begin to experience some harder competition that we are going to experience, you know, for, for the World Cup qualifiers. And of course, I think, you know, the competition is going to be your Kenya and your Namibia, as usual, <laughs> our perennial rivals. Sure. Um, so those, those will be the teams to beat uh, for us to, to, to qualify for the, for the World Cup. And we hope that everything goes well in terms of what we have planned. Sure, Aaron. And you had listed a um, couple of places where players are, are based. And, and I've actually got a little list that I've written down here. Sure, it goes on beyond this. But players that have been eligible for Zimbabwe include David Pocock, Tendai Tawarira, David Denton, Sebastian Negri, Brian Majati, Tondarai Shivanga, et al. I've actually just put et al because, I mean, the list goes on. There are... Obviously, professionals at clubs that are eligible to play for the Sables and, and haven't actually been capped by other nations yet. And that list sort of includes Dave Ewers, who's just won the, the Champions Cup with Exeter Chiefs this past weekend. Marco Mama, who you know who you know well. Mike Williams at Bath. Eli Snayman playing at Benetton in Italy. You've briefly chatted about some of the challenges attracting these players. Is it kind of a, a hard sell to incentivize these top-level professional players to come back and, and play for their home country? 
how does it sort of work in terms of reaching out and, and getting them to come back to play? Yeah, that is a sticky point. There are, you know, a lot of challenges in, in that area. I'll, I'll highlight two major challenges. One is insurance. So these players are covered in terms of insurance, in terms of uh, the territories in which they are in. But when they do come in to play in Zimbabwe or you know play for Zimbabwe, it, it then becomes a challenge in that you still want to extend that cover. And uh, that comes at a cost. And, and uh, most of the negotiations uh, with the clubs where they are coming from, they try and put it as a prerequisite that you know, they need to ensure that, you know, their player is covered in terms of uh, insurance. So that's one area that is problematic that, that we need to fine-tune and really look at how we can make that, uh, that transition seamless in terms, of, in terms of insurance. The other side is the issue of uh, the stipend. You know, with guys who are playing in the UK, they get regular allowances, if not salaries in terms of their contracts. And that is very, very, very high if you compare to what, uh, what we are able to pay as allowances. So these players, you must remember, when they do come here or come and play for Zimbabwe, they still have their regular expenses, whether it be mortgages, whether it be their families, and, you know, they still have to maintain, you know, their, their expenses wherever they are based. So it's now it's a challenge for us to come up with those figures you know that that they require they may not be um you know the same as what they get in the countries but they need to be significantly you know um, close to what they normally get and that presents a challenge on its own now do you differentiate between uh, your normal players that are based locally now you starting you start having these differentials where other players are getting more others are getting less you know and may lead to disunity so that that's also another area that we really need to focus and look at and see how we can make it possible for players uh, to come through and play for us and not lose out as such in terms of their regular income in their bases. Perfect, Aaron. That is one of the, the biggest challenges we face, unfortunately, is that player drain. And I just wanted to chat about the, uh, the Rugby World Cup format, I guess, Aaron. So... Obviously, the qualification period for Zimbabwe has become fairly repetitive. We, we basically have to beat Kenya and Namibia each uh, cycle to qualify. You've been a, a board member at Rugby Africa, which is the, the African rugby governing body. Can you sort of tell us anything about, from your involvement, how the World Cup will work going forward? Not necessarily 2023, but perhaps 2027 and onwards in terms of perhaps an expansion? Will more teams play in a World Cup? Do you want to keep the, the Rugby World Cup at 20 teams? And, and I just ask that as a, based upon our qualification processes um, in the last two decades, I guess. So th- there are two things that are happening on that front. In the last couple of months, World Rugby is now re-looking at uh, perhaps the representation in terms of um, the people that they have that represent the executive of World Rugby uh, with a view to making it more encompassing and also uh, with a view to growing the game. So that's one area that is uh, definitely in motion 
and uh, we are making our contributions in terms of how we we see things. So in terms of the current structure that is there, there is obviously your elite side where South Africa is representing Africa. And then on, on underneath that, we've got the competition that we, we hold as, uh, as, as Rugby Africa to get a, a winner of, of, of the Africa Cup who will then go through as the second representative of Africa. There is another third layer, which is the repechage. So whoever comes second gets the opportunity to play the other countries, your South Americans and so on and so forth, to get an opportunity to represent uh, Africa as the third country. Now, at the moment, structurally, we, we have a challenge in that as the third country, our competition, we have it a year before World Cup, whereas the other countries like Europe have it two years before. So the players that are going to be in the repertoire for the other countries are known prior to, you know, very well in advance. So they can make the necessary preparations and put in resources to prepare for the repertoire. Whereas for Africa, you, you know, you, you hardly have any time, <laughs> you know, from our competition to prepare for the repertoire. So you are always on your back foot. So that is a challenge. That is something, a structural problem that we, we have within um, Rugby Africa that we need to perhaps really look at and see how we can increase the chances of the third African country coming through to give them a realistic chance of winning in the repressions. And while we, we, we were in Japan for the World Cup, we, we did have a meeting and it also came out that there is a cry for another competition, which is not elite as the World Cup, perhaps something slightly lower that can that other lower teams can look forward to to play so again that is also still under discussion and a lot of ideas are being thrown out there and we don't know what sort of format that will take through but certainly there's a cry that there is we need some sort of competition that can accommodate the lesser teams um you know who don't make the world cup Absolutely, Aaron. And, uh, and we just want to see Zimbabwe do well. We want to see them playing regular rugby with the best possible players on offer. I certainly hope one day that we will, hopefully not too far away, but I hope that we will get the opportunity to take part in a, in a major tournament once again. That's the dream, really. And, and sort of closing this, this section off, Aaron, are there any sort of things that I can do that the public in Zimbabwe can do? The diaspora all over the world from Zimbabwe. Is there anything that we can do to support the Sables and just show our backing kind of thing, whether it be social media or, you know, corporately, etc.? Yes, there's a lot that, uh, that we can do as a rugby family. Uh, you will notice that even from school-going uh, boys uh, who are playing rugby, they are all over. But the problem is that we don't, we don't have currently a database to capture everybody. Uh, we're trying to get one. We've instituted, uh, you know, a program where we are registering all the players that are within the country. But we do have those players that are based outside in London, wherever, who are eligible to play for Zimbabwe at a junior level. But we don't have them in our books. So I would urge um, all the parents who happen to be listening here who are Zimbabwean, uh, the best thing that you can do is to, number one, 
register in our website go to our website register and then be able to convey this information that i have you know a son who is playing rugby and these are his contact details and then our technical teams will then incorporate them into into the database and then we can begin to look at them in terms of when we are um, having competitions to say okay we have looked at everybody that we can possibly look at throughout the world who, who is Zimbabwean and is eligible to play for the national side that's one aspect the other aspect of course is resources as, as I indicated before we will be having various uh, interactions on our website, such as auctions and so on and so forth. So if you are part of the program, if you are part, again, it goes down to registering with us. If you are part of um, uh, of us and are interacting on a daily basis, you can contribute. And there is no contribution that is too small. You can imagine as a database, if, if you have a sizable amount of people and you are getting contributions, whether it be $5, it all adds up in terms of when you have numbers, it's a huge amount of money. So th- th- those are the kind of um, areas where we are looking at. And those who are able to, to assist in terms of corporate contacts, people that can come through on the corporate side who see value uh, in partnering with the Zimbabwe Rugby Union. Again, you know, those, those, those are sort of, um, you know, some leads that we need as a union. And basically, a- at the very baseline, uh, what we are needing are numbers on our website. Once we have numbers on our website, it means that we have something of value to sell to our corporates and to partner with our corporates. Because once you have numbers, you, it means that they can advertise, they can do all sorts of things. So just by mere registering on our website, you would have done a massive job in terms of helping the Sables and the other national teams. Perfect, Aaron. Now, now, as a rugby family, we can hopefully all come together and, and ultimately help help the Zimbabwe Rugby Union and get the best resources available, get the best players on the pitch and, and work together. So thank you for sharing that with us. I'd now, Aaron, like to ask you three very uh, informal quick-fire questions to, to close off before I let you go. So firstly, Aaron, uh, if you were on a Zimbabwe tour of any nature, and you had the choice of rooming between Brighton Chivandere or Godwin Murambiwa, who are you picking and why? <laughs> That's a very, very, very difficult question. Um, those two, um, two guys who are very close to me as individuals, um, I've played with Brighton throughout our career. We played together. And uh, we've become very close, and uh, even up to now, he's very much involved and is one of my advisors. And Godwin, we played from school days, and he's a personal friend. So I would find it very, very difficult to choose. I would, I would probably room with both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably end up on the floor. But um, yeah, I would, I would definitely room with both of them anytime. Uh, they are very close to me and very special, um, uh, very two very special guys. And yeah, and I, I love them to bits. Yeah, definitely love them. Yeah. Brighton, a very, very tall, big man. I'm sure the room will be quite, quite crowded, but that's your choice, Aaron. Um, you're going with both <laughs> of them. Cool. So again, hypothetically, who do you want the Sables to play in their opening 2023 Rugby World Cup pool match? Look, I wouldn't choose who to play, 
but what I would hope for um, is is that we you know you, you you get an opportunity to ease into the competition. You know there are um, sides, uh, you know South American sides, perhaps your you know your Wales Island kind of uh, teams who 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 are you know not really at the very very top of the food chain, but you want to ease into the competition. You don't want to um, you know get the very hard games as I've seen others get. You know New Zealand, South Africa, you know on the first on the first games that 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 would be the detriment to to the cause. Um, so yeah, so hopefully you you know you would get uh, you know the lower seeded teams to to ease into the competition. Absolutely. Um, yes. Right. So lastly, Aaron. Which has been your favourite uh, Zimbabwe tour, in any capacity, and why? Oh, I mean, the, the, my very best, without doubt, would be the under twenty uh, side, uh, which was going to the Junior World Trophy in, um, in uh, Utah, in the USA. I think it was the most the most talented side I've ever seen. It, it was just just a talented um, uh, group of guys. And in terms of resources, we were the best prepared that that we could ever have been. We started off with uh, a tour to South Africa. Uh, we played some sites in South Africa with it, uh, prior to uh, going to USA, and then from um, South Africa we went to France. We based in Castres, and we based there and uh, did uh, our training camps and played some games there in preparation for the World Trophy, and then finally. When we um, when we got to um, Utah, uh, I mean, it was it was very well organized, and bombshell. Uh, I think uh, about six um, of our players tested positive for steroids, <laughs> and that 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 and, and it just killed oh. everything. <laughs> everything just went out the window now, you know, and 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 that. But it was it was it was it was the the tour. That would have been um, uh, the the best for for, for Zimbabwe ever uh, in terms of talent and in terms of preparation. Unfortunately, you know, as uh, Salt's Law would have it, the the the, the steroids uh, thing just uh, crept in, and we just we were caught unawares on that one. Stay off the juice, kids. <laughs> Aaron, thank you. I, I just want to personally say thank you so much for your time today. I'm very impressed uh, with the work that you and your team are doing to help Zimbabwe rugby. Very happy to have you at the at the helm and uh, steadying the ship. So thank you again for your time today. I'm sure our listeners have a, a better understanding and, and a greater insight as to how things work behind the scenes. And I, I wish you nothing but the best of success for the rest of the year and hopefully into 2021 where we have a lot of rugby and it's a, a very successful one for, for Zimbabwe. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you very much, Richard. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the interview, and I think perhaps you forgot to tell the players that um, you 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 were in the under twenty one uh, under twenty squad, uh, the Zim squad, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you were part of my team. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was good having you, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks, Aaron. All, all I did on that tour was organise a, a call me maybe parody video, which is still on YouTube. I hope it gets taken down soon. <laughs> thank you so much, Aaron, for your time. We'll be in touch and uh, and go well. Thank you very much. Cheers, Aaron. Bye. Bye.